Talk Money is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. <coughs> For updates, further breakdowns, and past episodes of this podcast, sign up at thetalkmoney.com. If you enjoy our podcast, help us get the word out. Write a review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to help us reach more ears. And now you can sign up for our newsletter, where we curate the best money topics of the week from across the internet. It's quick, informative, and most importantly, fun. Sign up at thetalkmoney.com slash newsletter. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Talk Money Weekly. I'm your host, Mesh. And in today's episode, Kazakhstan's unrest and a uranium meltdown. So I have a special guest on for today's episode. Our good friend, the weatherman is back. And why is the weatherman back? Well, the weatherman is an expert on all things energy, all things market. And I want to know what's going on with energy prices right now. Oil prices seem to be surging. Other prices seem to be surging. We have unrest in Kazakhstan right now and what that has to do with the rest of the world. But also just generally energy prices are going up because of Omicron, we got snowstorms, we got Kazakhstan, we have a bunch of different factors happening, and it's been about two years since we had that negative oil, so obviously this has come pretty quickly, and I just want to get to the bottom of it, and no better person than the weatherman to explain to us, and right now, no better time to have the weatherman on, there's a snowstorm happening in New York, eh, well not really a snowstorm, it snowed and then it rained, but it's messed up my day, my feet are wet. I'm cold. Earlier today, it was 13 degrees. Now it's 35 degrees. I don't know what the hell is going on. I can't figure out what to wear. And honestly, it's pretty uncomfortable. But that's exactly why I got the weatherman here to explain what uranium is, to explain how it powers the world, to explain what's going on with oil prices, how that is affecting inflation, all of the above. So let's get started. Here's my man, the weatherman. All right. Weatherman. What's happening? It's nice to have you back. You know, it's nice to be back. And we've got really, really great weather right now. It's I mean, snowing outside. The the worst weather ever, but there's probably a 30-minute window where you can actually go out and enjoy the white wonderland that is New York before it turns into brown slush. What happens when you have weather like this? What do you expect? Anything shut down economically? What market is going to have a reaction to a snowstorm on the East Coast? I think one of the things that's always interesting is that energy markets in particular have a graver response to East Coast weather than any other weather around. It just so happens that a lot of traders are sitting in New York. So they look outside and they say, oh, it's cold. That means, you know, gas should be higher and they trade on that. Whereas you wouldn't necessarily do that if there was, you know, warm weather in the rest of the country. Right. So it's much more of a bias to your surroundings. And that's what it happens sometimes. <laughs> that's crazy. Well, what is happening with energy prices right now? Well, energy prices are sort of at all time highs in some terms around the world. So, for example, gas prices in Europe are at all time highs right now. Oil prices, while not at all time highs, are pretty high versus the last, let's call it three to four years. And coal prices are also pretty high around the world because gas prices are high. They just sort of compete with each other. So energy prices in general are very high. 
And they are one of the major reasons why we're talking about inflation right now. Some of the greatest inflationary pressure around the world is coming from very high energy prices. Can you give us the connection from like high energy price to like how I would potentially experience that in a grocery store? Yeah, of course. So one of the major ways in which we get all of our groceries is somebody basically has to go to the farm to collect that you know produce, take it to wherever they put it in the mill to actually get that sorted, get it refined, get it into a flour, let's call it in this case wheat maybe, and then you have to put it on trucks again. So if a certain percentage of the trucking fees is going to come from how much diesel you put in there, the price of diesel goes up, you know, let's call it 2x. That's what it's gone up in the last 24 months. That will result in there being probably a 25 to 30% upside in what it costs to transport the grain from the farm to your table. And that means that the overall price of that good will be higher by anywhere between, you know, high teens to low 20%. Wow. So like, what is that in comparison to where we were two years ago? You know, as COVID happened, we had a complete like, destruction of energy prices from the standpoint of no one was traveling anywhere, everything had shut down, and now we're coming and approaching these highs again. Like, what exactly is the comparison, and did you expect that to happen? I didn't expect the, let's call it the turnarounds to be this quick, but one of the things that I think a lot of people discounted during the sort of height of COVID was how it affected the supply side of things. Because just like with everything else, you know, there's a demand side, there's a supply side, right? So the demand side has come back with all of the population sort of being, you know, over COVID. So people are trying to get back as much as possible to their normal lives. But the thing that a lot of people don't pay attention to is a supply side, right? If you are trying to make or excavate for oil, gas, coal, or whatever other energy source, you need people to be there. And if they're working in close quarters, there's a very high chance that they will get things like COVID or other infectious diseases. And that means that a lot of times, a lot of different oil sites or coal mines or gas wells that were being handled or supervised by people in their thousands, if some of them got COVID, all of them got COVID. So they had to shut down, they had to you know, scale back operations, they had to do all these different things. So the supply did not come up as fast as demanded. And what that did was cause an imbalance where prices just went up a lot higher than even I was anticipating. And that's a kind of similar to what we've seen even in the last couple of weeks, there was another snowstorm on the East Coast, which basically caused this scarcity of groceries. Uh, yeah. And a bunch of different stores because there's no the balance between not being able to get deliveries on time mixed with Omicron where like everybody was out sick where you walk into a grocery store and there's nothing on the shelves. I think one of the things that people don't really pay attention to is a last minute satisfaction of different goods. What we have done in the last 10 years, this is thanks to a variety of different logistics companies, is that we have now become very accustomed to getting goods in the last moment. Because we have set up logistics where we don't actually need to keep a lot of things in inventory just to make sure that we can actually get them on time. The supply chains all the way from China to your grocery store or your you know, goods store in New York have become so or were so well connected and so well oiled that you didn't need to keep 
thousands of goods in a store in New Jersey or in Long Island or somewhere else to get them to, to New York. You could just order it. It would come from China in three weeks. What COVID has done is actually shown us in some ways that we cannot operate that last minute model that we were so used to, let's call it in the last decade, decade and a half. And that has sort of been turned around on its head. And now we're re-looking at things like, oh, how do we build better inventory models where we don't run out of things on a daily basis when there's something like a storm that comes through, which has been coming through every winter, right? It's not right. new. Yeah, nothing new about storms. And honestly, nothing really new about energy prices going up. It seems to be this is just what happens. Yeah. Like that number is going to go up. And I want to actually focus on Kazakhstan because a lot of headline news around Kazakhstan has a lot to do with energy prices right now, the unrest that's happening there. Could you just, in a TLDR, tell us what's going on? So from a very macro perspective, when Kazakhstan and other stands in that particular area in Asia or Eurasia, as you might call it, started becoming independent from the USSR post-1990, you know, they basically were mostly ruled by the strongmen that were in power during the USSR days. It just so happens that a lot of these people are now aging out of being dictators. So Kazakhstan is just one of the many places in that part of the world where there's been a passage of power from the last strongman who has been in power between the last 20 to 30 years to the next generation of leaders. And what that does is invariably will cause some political strife. It just so happened that this particular strife was caused by the changing of the guard within Kazakhstan, in addition to a lot of sort of innate issues of inequality and other things like oligarchy that have been plaguing the country since it has become its own country post-USSR. So like the unrest is a change of regimes, but it seems to be like, civilian unrest, there's protests, there's violence happening. But what does that have an effect on oil prices? How big of a supplier of oil or energy in general is Kazakhstan to the world? Yeah. So, I mean, there's just like with anywhere else, it's sort of a very complicated political issue. Like you touched upon the fact that there is civilian unrest. There has been civilian unrest time over time over the years in Kazakhstan. There is now this change of the guard. So that's adding to the civilian unrest and just unrest in general. There's Russian involvement in the process as well, which is always looked at interestingly from the West. But I think from an energy standpoint, Kazakhstan probably supplies around one and a half to two percent of the world's oil and somewhere similar in the world's gas. And what that means is, if we were in a much more stable, non-inflationary energy environment, people would not be this concerned about this particular incident. But because we're already in this area of scarcity, where we're already in this sort of supply and demand not matching up, people sort of reacted fairly badly to what was going on in Kazakhstan. I think. In general, one of the interesting things about Kazakhstan is it actually provides almost 50% of the world's uranium. And while most people would look at that and you know think nuclear weapons, the fact is there are still hundreds of nuclear reactors that produce electricity in the world. If they cannot have access to nuclear fuel once every few years, they don't need it sort of every day, but if they can have that access, then they get to shut down. 
which then puts on more pressure on other energy prices because they have to make up for the lack of uranium, right? So there's a lot of these different connecting dots that sort of start in Kazakhstan that have the potential to cause a ripple effect and will in markets where we are today. So it's interesting, like uranium is just not something I, I know what uranium in theory is. And like, yes, I think uranium, I'm thinking Homer Simpson, <laughs> nuclear plant, presses a button, the green thing that gets in his shirt, or I don't know if that's plutonium or that's from Back to the Future. What is uranium? <laughs> what exactly, like, how does it work? What is it used for? And do you trade uranium as well? Uh, it's very hard to trade uranium. The markets are not very liquid. I'm sure somebody who has a large enough scale can do it. But it's usually very, very hard to trade uranium because it is a, it's a sensitive good, let's call it, right? You don't want uranium to get into the wrong hands. So in addition to the nuclear weapons that I just talked about, which a lot of them have some part of uranium, it's a radioactive element. And in addition to making nuclear weapons at a certain level of purity and a certain kind of uranium, it is also used in a variety of different nuclear plants around the world. What it does is you get the uranium, you purify it to a certain extent, and then it starts degrading naturally. Most radioactive material will degrade naturally over time. And what that does is when it starts degrading naturally, it will produce heat. And that heat is captured in a nuclear plant and then used to run turbines, which then produces electricity. So that is the usual process in which uranium is used versus oil or gas, where you actually have to burn the actual thing to get the energy out of it and then run the turbines or run the car or whatever else. Uranium is just a naturally decaying element and you need a very small amount of it to actually run a very large nuclear plant and get a lot of energy. How does it fit within like, what is the most environmentally friendly method of power? So that is one of the most interesting debates that's going on today. There are old school, I would say, environmentalists who look at uranium and think about things like Chernobyl or what happened in Japan in Fukushima 11 years ago. And they look at this and say, this is actually not worth including in our clean energy initiatives because we cannot afford another disaster. But new environmentalists in some ways, including people like Bill Gates, for example, are very much of the opinion that to be a clean energy producer, any country or the world in general, we need a lot of nuclear because even though it might not be fully accident proof, the fact is there are so few accidents with uranium and there are so many different ways that they're developing to control them that in the end, it actually might be the best base power to have with something like a lot of wind and a lot of solar and a lot of battery storage. So there's this very interesting debate going on in environmental circles as to which way uranium falls and whether we can actually label it literally a clean fuel. And it's interesting that what you've said is that there seems to be a lot of potential in this as more and more resources are put into practicing with it in the right ways. What is the potential of this for us to like use it energy efficiently across the world? But when one country is producing 50% of it, what happens when now you've got unrest in a country? Are governments like worried about who's coming into power? And then therefore how it works with like exporters and relationships multinationally? No, I think everyone was concerned. I think everyone was concerned. I think everyone was concerned that the price of uranium would go up. 
right? It's not quite as simple as liquid markets like oil or gas, which are traded sort of every day all around the world because you don't need uranium on a daily basis. It's not like if you shut it down for a day, we get a huge shortage. It's like every nuclear plant goes through, you know, multi-year cycles where they need to re-up their uranium supply. And therefore, they will buy maybe once every couple of years, maybe once every five years, depending on how much their stack internally is, right? And so it's not necessarily going to cause an immediate shortage of uranium. But over the long term, if there was instability, if there was a problem with the supply chain, then that would mean that a lot of nuclear plants would probably have to shut down. Wow. Luckily, I mean, it's almost like a benefit of how nuclear power works is that you don't need it immediately or you can buy in surplus. And that's your point. It decays naturally over a period of time then creates heat. Yep. And so therefore you have time here to like kind of weigh things out and hence why the prices haven't gone insane. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely the case. I think the other thing is also Canada, which is the other like sort of large provider of uranium actually has quite a bit of it. They sort of control their supply in some ways also. So if we were in an actual pinch, there was probably going to be more ways to actually get it than just one. So I'd read some headlines, saw some stuff on Twitter, of course, because everybody wants to make something about crypto. And so they were saying, oh, my God, unrest in Kazakhstan where they're mining uranium can foil whatever Bitcoin mining operations that exist. I didn't really understand what the connection was, but what do you think it would have been? If I could guess, an educated guess would basically be around the fact that the electricity prices in Kazakhstan are probably very, very low because they have their own gas, oil, uranium, et cetera, right? So their electricity prices are very low. So it's very cheap on a comparative basis to probably mine Bitcoin or other crypto in that country. And if there was unrest, that would have probably caused some issues around the grid and therefore Bitcoin or other crypto mining operations. So that's my guess, but I think that's probably what it was. Yeah. So what happens now? I mean, now you've got not only the mix of COVID and Omicron, and then you've got, you know, winter is coming. And on top of that, now you have unrest in Kazakhstan. Like, what do we expect to see with energy prices? It'll just be volatile or just continues to go up? I think right now, I would say that the chances are that it goes higher before it goes lower. I think for the, all the reasons that you just touched upon. I do believe, though, that the situation in Kazakhstan for now is under control, mostly because there were troops sent by Russia and other sort of countries around Kazakhstan to actually stabilize the situation there. So for now, it seems that the situation is fairly stable. So I don't think that will be the cause of the next step up. But in the energy world, there are no dearth of places that are on the cusp of basically blowing up. So there's always going to be a new story around that. And, and will cause probably some volatility along with it. Well, it's funny because I'm sure like a lot of people are excited about the fact that prices are going up and they're finally making up for lost time over the last two years. Consumer-wise, will it affect us or will we notice the effects of these energy prices going up? I think we will eventually, maybe not directly, but definitively indirectly. I'll tell you why. We are already sitting in one of the highest inflation environments of the last you know, 15 to 20 years. We're already in it. Energy prices are a part of that. But unlike a lot of other things, energy prices permeate a variety of different ways, both directly and indirectly, right? 
directly, it doesn't affect us as badly because in the US in particular, we only spend less than 10% of our disposable income on energy. Things like buying oil or paying for gas or electricity or whatever else, because they are so relatively cheap in the US versus other places in the world. And our buying power is a lot higher. But the indirect effects are definitely being felt already in the cost of finished goods, in the cost of groceries, vegetables, fruit, grain, etc., on the cost of long-term goods like furniture and everything else like that. Everything that has to be transported from other parts of the world is getting more expensive because everything requires fuel. Knowing that, and just again, knowing everything that we've seen with energy prices going up, where we are in an inflation environment, the potential of nuclear power, and that could be more efficient, be longer lasting. Are we changing sentiment around clean energy? Is it more than it was before? Is it like still kind of going up and down? Like, what are you seeing around that? I hate to say this, but even this debate is basically being politicized one way or the other. So in one way, clean energy actually looks cheaper on a relative basis because the, let's call it legacy energy prices are so high, right? So oil is high, gas is high. So potentially you should be buying that Tesla because oil prices are so high, right? So you should be more involved in clean energy or people should generally be more accepting of clean energy because now it looks cheaper, which is one of the complaint for a while. But on the other side of the debate, people are saying, look around you, energy prices are causing so much inflation do you think it's going to be easy and or cheap to make that transition to clean energy? So their point is we're going to have to pay one way or the other, whether it's tax dollars or our own dollars directly or whichever way to make this transition to clean energy. So right now there's these two trains of thought that are sort of conflicting with one another in the sense of what clean energy means today and how much will we have to pay to get there in the future? Last question I'll ask you, how do you feel about buying electric right now? Or does it matter for you? I would love to buy electric for my next car. I will say this, the wait time for an electric is many, many months, if not more than a year right now. So that's probably causing a few people to think twice about it. Well, I hope you get on that wait list <laughs> or potentially buy someone else's uh, spot on it. But of I course. know you won't do that. I'll, I'll, I'll try to be a nice person. <laughs> I, I, I try not to do that. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. So that's our show for today. I love it when the weatherman comes by and schools me on all these things that I don't know anything about and just continues to give us these amazing insights. I mean, the guy is just so smart. So thanks to the weatherman for bringing us your insights. Thank you for coming on as always. Make sure you're subscribed to the newsletter, thetalkmoney.com slash newsletter. Until next time. 